kind of a, a kind of clarifying kind of a talk is to get some clarity on um, on what mission is. But let's um, let's pray and ask God to speak to us now. Father, we we thank you so much for the Scripture, which is our light and our guide and our help. And Father, we're often so confused. We're um, we're lost. We get diverted from good paths. And so we ask now for your spirit to be working here amongst us through your word, that you would teach us and lead us, correct our thinking, Father, give us new longings and new desires, give us concentration, Father, you know how our thoughts wander and you know the weaknesses uh, that we, that we uh, feel. Father, pray for any people here today who are burdened or stressed or worried, people who are struggling with sickness. Father, I pray that you would give them grace this morning and... Help them to learn from you and to hear from you. And help me, Father, help me as I speak, through your Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be thinking about mission over these next few days. And uh, I thought uh, a good good place for us to start is to think about what that word actually means. What does the word mission actually mean? Now, everyone has got a mission these days. I don't know if you've noticed this. A lot of you guys work in business. Uh, so you'll know this, you know, any company or organization that's worth its salt has got a mission, a mission statement. Facebook has got a mission. Facebook's mission is to make the world more open and connected. Nando's has got a mission. They want to take you on a voyage of discovery to find the Nando's experience. <laughs> Walt Disney just wants to make you happy, according to their mission statement. Even America's got a mission, according to George Bush. America is a nation with a mission. And that mission comes from our most basic beliefs. We have no desire to dominate, no ambitions of empire. Our aim is a democratic peace, a peace founded upon the dignity and rights of every man and woman. America has a mission. We, we're, we're even encouraged today to write our own personal mission statements. The people out there saying, look, you need to write your own mission statement to know what you want with life. Mission is a buzzword. So then, what, what are we on about when we talk about mission in church? What is the mission of the church? That word mission actually has become increasingly difficult to get a, a handle on. And so when we talk about the mission statement of the church, what is that? The word mission has become increasingly controversial. Uh, it's un increasingly unclear what churches or leaders or individual Christians mean when they talk about the word mission. And it, it, it's actually quite ironic because the secular world has nicked the word from us. And now we're confused about what we're talking about when we talk about mission. It's a big issue in churches. It's a big issue in mission agencies, would you believe? It's been debated in theological colleges. And you can pick up different books that say different things about what mission is. They've all got the word mission in the title. They're talking about mission. But actually, they might be saying quite different things. And so the word mission has become a bit like an empty box, which you can fill with whatever you like. If you open the lid... <laughs> You can see quite different things people put into this box. So people put things like evangelism, good works, care for the environment, being a blessing, transforming society, care for the poor and social justice, building the kingdom of God, fighting racism, planting churches, all these different things and many more into the mission box. Now those are actually a list of really quite different things. And they're all actually kind of really good things. I mean, who's going to criticise those things that I just read out for you? I mean, I think we could all universally agree that all those things are good. But all these things are put by different people into the mission box. And so we need to think through 
really carefully what really needs to go into that box. Are we putting into that box what we should be putting into that box? Are there extra things we're putting in there? Are we taking out things we, we should have in there? And actually, this is a big deal because how you guys think about mission will have a tremendous impact upon your church life together and what you're doing as a church. It will have a tremendous impact upon how you want Andy to use his time. How should he be leading you? What kind of man and leader should he be? What kind sort of example should he be setting for you? What should you guys be doing when you're getting together? If, you're, if, if you and I are not clear about what mission is, we're not going to be sure about what we're doing or whether actually what we're doing is what God wants us to do. There's no point just having activity. We need to know if our activity is any good. No army can function if everyone's got a different view of what their orders are and no builders can build a house if they've all got a different conception of what the house should look like. That's just a recipe for chaos, isn't it? And so getting our heads around this is really just kind of basic, isn't it? It's foundational. It's a starting point. You guys need to know how you should be using your time, your resources, your energy, your money. You need to know what it is worth making sacrifices for. Is it really worth making sacrifices for the things you're making sacrifices for? So this is not something that is good to be confused about. Uh, or it, it's, not, it's not good to be uncertain about this. We need to get a handle on this to kind of define what mission is. So you can see on, my, on, on the handouts, two very simple points. What mission is and what mission ain't. What it is and what it ain't. Okay? So you can follow through that. Now, firstly then, what mission is? Now the word mission, strictly speaking, doesn't actually come in the Bible. It's not actually a Bible word. It's actually a Latin word. Anyone, anyone here speak Latin? No Latin? No? No, good. Um, I, think, I think that's right. Uh, it, it, it's a Latin word that means to be sent. So a missionary is someone who is sent. They've been sent. Now, though that is a Latin word, there is actually a Greek equivalent of that word. And actually, you know that Greek word. You, you may not know, but you actually know some Greek today. It's used lots in the, old, in the New Testament. It is the word apostello. Apostello. Have you heard that word before, somewhere? Apostello. It is, of course... The word for apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent. We're familiar with that word, aren't we? The, the twelve apostles and others are sent out. They are people who, 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 who are sent ones. They've been sent out by God the Father and Jesus Christ. So let's have a look at those first few verses on your sheets. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. And in Galatians 1, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle. Not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. So Paul is an apostle. He presents himself as someone who has been sent. Now let's think about that for a moment. An apostle, therefore, is someone who is an ambassador. They are an envoy of who? Of Jesus. Of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. In other words, they are people who have been sent to represent someone else. They're representing the Lord Jesus. Now, um, uh, a guy used to work with me, his dad was formerly the, the British ambassador to the United Nations. And so uh, he had this amazing fancy residence and he would meet with George Bush, it's incredible, you know, and kind of meet with these top kind of world leaders. Now, when he was meeting with these, le with these leaders, he was not there to present his own foreign policy. You know, think, well, actually, you know, this whole thing with Iraq, you know, it's ridiculous, we should just kind of get out of Iraq. No, he wasn't there to present his own opinions and his own policies. He was there to represent the UK government. He wasn't to insert his own ideas. 
uh, and that's why he remained the uh, British ambassador to the UN. <laughs> so the apostles here, they are ambassadors who've been sent with a task, not to represent themselves, but to re represent Jesus and his Father. They're not, they're not there to, uh, to promote themselves, but to promote his agenda. They are on a mission. Now, what does that mean then? You know, how are they to represent Jesus? If that's what the word mission is really about, how are they to represent him? And, and so I thought the best way for us to look to deal with this is, to, is simply to go through a number of very familiar New Testament passages, passages that you've read before, you know, and, and just to have a look at what mission is according to Jesus, firstly. You know, if they're representing Jesus, what does he tell them to do? What are the orders from Government HQ? What does he want his ambassadors to be doing? What does the risen Jesus think of mission? It is always a really good idea, isn't it, to think, what does the risen Jesus think? If the risen Jesus thinks something, we should think it as well. So let's have a look at Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Here we get the risen Jesus speaking to the, to the disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. Again, the risen Jesus. Then he said to them, to the disciples, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you. And everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So remember, here we have the risen Jesus speaking directly to his disciples, and therefore to us, and it is his interpretation of mission. Again, it's a very good idea to listen to risen Jesus. So let's listen to what he says. Now before I get on to that, let me just put a little parenthesis in the talk for a moment. And, um, and, and I, just want to, uh, I, I just want us to think a little bit about uh, how one uses the Bible. Technically, how do we use the Bible when we, when we think about mission? Now, one of the problems that comes up when people talk about mission is what they do is they, they start with the Old Testament. And, and they use the Old Testament to, def to define Mission And a favourite passage there is Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, the call of Abraham. And they'll go to the call of Abraham and they'll say, ah, Abraham is called to be a blessing to the nations. And that's therefore what we are to be. We are to be a blessing to the nations. Now there are all kinds of problems with that, and I, I, can't, I can't really go into that right now. But, but the point is, rather than reading the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament, start the other way around. Go to the New Testament and work backwards. It's a much safer way of doing things. Because Jesus is the centre of the scriptures. Always start with Jesus. Let him be the key through which you interpret everything. And then interpret everything else in the light of Jesus' words and his life. Look at what Jesus explicitly says. And then interpret the Old Testament against Jesus. If you don't do that, you can run into all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulties. You'll start sacrificing lambs and building tabernacles, <laughs> and it can all go seriously wrong. So, very good. Start with Jesus and interpret everything in relation to Jesus, including Genesis chapter 12. If you want to know more about that, come and, come and chat to me afterwards, or you can ask me some questions afterwards. End of parenthesis. Back to the risen Jesus. Now, 
The key thing we see here in these passages, Matthew 28, Luke 44, is that mission is about discipling, it's about teaching, it's about making the name of Jesus known, it's about being, a, being witnesses, it's about proclamation, it's about the gospel going to all the nations, the whole world, isn't it? Now that is pretty obvious, isn't it? Nothing sophisticated in my analysis there. None of you are falling off your chair saying, wow, Andy, you've got such amazing insight. I've never seen that before. I'm so glad you came to speak on this weekend. <laughs> it's plain, isn't it? It's on the surface of the passages. It's very, very clear. And you can see in both passages you've got the risen Jesus commissioning, sending people out. It's obvious, isn't it? Mission is about going to the whole world, proclaiming good news and making disciples. Now that might seem very obvious, but believe me, actually many people miss this very obvious thing. And they do a whole set of kind of biblical gymnastics and clever exegesis of passages and obscure what is as plain as the nose on your face. That risen Jesus has called us to go out and proclaim the good news about him and make disciples. Well, let's move to the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul is the model missionary for us. See, what Paul thinks about mission is, is very, very helpful for us because that is our mission, isn't it? He is the model missionary of the Bible. It's very important to go to Paul because sometimes another, another problem that, 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 that can come up in, in the way people use the Bible is they, they go from, straight from Jesus to us. They draw a direct line. You know, Jesus did this, so we do this. And so they make mistakes in applying Jesus' ministry to us. Jesus is not the model missionary. He's the model saviour. So if you want to be a saviour of the world, feel free to copy Jesus. But he's not the model missionary. Paul is the model missionary for us. And, and for example, Jesus didn't go to the nations, did he? It's not a good missionary, is it? He didn't go to the nations. A missionary is somebody who goes to the nation, goes to the whole world. So, Paul is our model here. It can sound great. Oh, yeah, we need to go to Jesus, can't it? We need to imitate Jesus. But actually, you can lead yourself into kind of some very subtle mistakes uh, that can really lead you astray. So, much better to go to Paul and look at how he understands mission. And he shows us what kind of mission the Lord Jesus has given us. We don't have to kind of sit there and figure it out. What does it really mean to do mission? I mean, just look at Paul. He'll show us. Again, this isn't rocket science, is it? This is just very clarifying. So let's look at what Paul says and does. So firstly, let's look at Paul's ambition. Romans chapter 15. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem... And all the way round to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've <coughs> longed for many years to come to you, blah, blah, blah. So, what is Paul's ambition? In verse 20, it's very clear, isn't it? That he, is, he wants to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. And so he can say remarkable things like, all the way from Jerusalem around to, to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. I mean, that's a big area. And of course, there's lots of people there who need to know about Jesus. But actually, Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. He wants to take the gospel to unreached people groups. 
And we see that in verse 21. And let me just say for a moment, that, that is actually a mark of, of a healthy church. It was one of the marks of a healthy church, that there is a burden for unreached people groups. For pe- there, there, are, there are about 2 billion people in the world today who have no opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should burden us. There'd be, there, 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 we, we should feel the force of that. I think we need to do something about this with the resources that we have, with prayer, with people, with money. We need to, we, it, it is our responsibility to take the gospel to unreached people groups, as Paul felt that burden. Now, that isn't the only burden Paul feels. In Romans 1, we read about how he wants to come and preach the gospel to the Romans, but it's clearly a priority for him. But notice the really just very obvious point that Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel. In other words, he wants to bring a message, a word, a proclamation. It is something you say with your mouth. You say it with your mouth. It's all focused on Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. There is no gospel without him. You know that um, famous saying from Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. You heard that? Sounds, sounds very clever, doesn't it? But actually, it's quite unhelpful. There's truth in it, but as a statement, it's actually very unhelpful. Because the gospel is a word that you bring. According to the Apostle Paul, the gospel is words, and it's got a content, and Paul's ambition is to make this gospel known. Now, let's look at Paul's original call as he's, uh, uh, that, he's, that he was given in Acts 26. Well, he's given earlier, but he recounts it in Acts 26. Again, on your sheets. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those which I appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Paul's own version of the Great Commission, where he's sent out, in verse 17 we read, he is sent out to open the eyes of the Gentiles. So what's going to happen to the Gentiles? They're going to turn and repent from darkness to light, from power of Satan to God. The goal is their forgiveness and that they're dedicated to God. So this is all about the conversion of the Gentile world, isn't it? It's all about the conversion of the Gentile world. It's about massive spiritual change, bringing people to, into a new relationship with God. And this is what Paul is called to. This is what he's travelling for. This is why the letters of the New Testament got written. Now again, this is pretty obvious, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. It, you know, it's, it, all we've done here is just look at these passages. There's no technical words. Um, I haven't shown you any kind of vast um, academic scholarly knowledge. You're not impressed with my vast knowledge of ancient cultures. In one sense, you don't really need me to stand here and tell you this. But actually, this can go so wrong. You may have um, heard of a church in America called Westboro Baptist Church. There was a, a, a documentary done by Louis Theroux on this church. And basically, what they do is they go out and picket funerals with signs that say, God hates fags. Because basically, they... Um, uh, the military uh, has people working there who are gay, and, and uh, they think this is really wrong. And so they're, they're, they're extremely homophobic, and basically their, their ministry is really picketing people with God hates fags. Uh, God generally hates different people, and they feel they're proclaiming judgment. And of course, they think of themselves as being very biblical. You could probably get a YouTube clip, clip on it if you want to go and see it. But, but what they've done is they've, I mean, they've misunderstood lots of things, but they've, they have misunderstood the mission of the church. They think the mission of the church is to picket and protest was actually the mission of the church is to proclaim good news. And that is what we're called to. Now, now, that is an extreme example, but you can see how you can miss what is really plain 
uh, from the scripture. Now, this, this, lastly on, on Paul, let's look at Paul's pattern. Three things we notice about Paul's pattern. Firstly, he comes to a place where people don't know Jesus and he preaches the gospel to them. That's what he does. That's the first thing he does. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and when I came to you, brothers, uh, and when I came to you, brothers, did not, uh, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ had been crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So your faith may, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He comes to people and he preaches the gospel to them. To them and he recounts his ministry in Corinth. That's the first thing he does. Second thing he does, notice he prioritizes the church. The body of believers has a big priority in his mind. And so a big priority in his mind is gathering disciples into a healthy church. So Ephesians chapter 2, he writes about the church. So, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. He's talking, about, he's talking to Gentiles here. With the saints and members of the household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in, him, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also have been built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the church has a big priority for Paul. He gathers people into churches. He doesn't just preach the gospel and leave people, but he, he, he gathers them into church. And then thirdly, again we see a big priority in the New, in the New Testament uh, with regard to mission. He appoints leaders for churches. He doesn't think a church has been properly established until there is proper leadership appointed. So Acts 14, 23... And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then he moves on. Preach the gospel, form churches, appoint leadership. And you see that in, in other books in the, in the New Testament, Titus, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the priority of healthy church leadership. So, so th let's just try to get a summary of all of this from Jesus, from Paul, of what mission is about. Very simply, three things. Mission is about, one, preaching the gospel, which is a word, a proclamation, Secondly, it is about gathering into churches and discipling people in that context. It's about gathering into churches and discipling people. And thirdly, it is about appointing healthy leadership. That's a kind of, uh, the, the, the growth of leadership is a kind of a, a follow-through of that. Preaching the gospel, gathering into churches and discipling people, and appointing healthy leadership. This is what mission is about, according to the New Testament. These are the key things. Now, it's good to be super clear about this. Super clear about this. For our own sakes, we ourselves need to know what we're doing and what we're prioritising. We need to be super clear about, uh, about this for the, for the sake of the church and what you, you guys are to prioritise, what, what you are to focus on. And for any of you who are thinking about uh, full-time ministry in the future or going overseas, you need to be super clear about this because actually there's a lot of confusion about that. Uh, but this is what mission is all about. And, and we need to be clear about it for the sake of our bro other brothers and sisters who are confused on this, issue, on this issue. And we need to be able to explain to them what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. So it's, it, it, it's good to, to, get, to, to get some real clarity on this and what mission is. But we also need to know what mission ain't, what mission isn't. Because often it's when you say what something isn't that you get clarity about what it is. It is the negative that often defines the positive. So you might say to a group of people, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And everyone will nod, say yes. Okay, that's nice. But when you say, Muhammad is not a way to Jesus, 
Everyone throws up their arms in horror. What are you saying? Because it's the negative that often defines the positive. So many people who are confused about this issue will still say, yeah, yeah, of course it's good to tell people about Jesus. Of course we should be telling people about Jesus. But the problem is that they tend to throw lots of other stuff into the mission box with that. And what happens when you do that is you get lots of problems and lots of confusion. And so what can easily happen, and this is actually quite a common thing, and actually there's some big scholarly books that argue this, that mission is really doing everything the Bible commands you to do. Mission is really basically just doing everything the Bible commands you to do. And of course there are lots of things the Lord asks us to do, and lots of things that he asks us to be. He asks us to be fruitful and multiply, to love our neighbour, to pray, to care for the poor, to rejoice, and not to steal stuff. Lots of things which the Lord asks us not to, not to do and to do. Loads of things that are commanded by God. But the problem is this. If mission is everything, then actually becomes useless as an idea. It just basically becomes obedience. And obedience isn't the same as mission. Of course we have to be obedient. Of course we have to be, to, to be obedient. But obedience isn't the same as mission. Remember, mission is what the apostles and the church were sent to do by Jesus. It was what um, Jesus sent them to, 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 to go out into the world and do. It is their immediate purpose and goal. So our immediate purpose and goal. Now it's very important, therefore, for us to make a distinction between becoming sanctified and holy and righteous, becoming like Jesus, in other words, and then understanding what the mission of the church is. They're not exactly, they're not the same thing. Not every good thing that we might do as Christians is part of the church's mission. Though they might be very important things and very good things, and good works are absolutely necessary and important, and in fact tomorrow, in the talk tomorrow, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at kind of good works and, and the importance of our lives. But these things are not the church's mission. They're related to it, they're important for it, but they're not the same thing. And that's sometimes where the confusion can come in. And this is the classic problem we get in a lot of missions thinking now, that it's common for, for a lot of people to start saying things like, well, what we need to do is we need to fight poverty. And then we're building the kingdom, we're doing mission. Sorting out homelessness, standing against human trafficking, stopping the destruction of the environment. Now don't misunderstand me, I am very, very far from criticising any of these things. Uh, it is a great thing for Christians to be active in these things, absolutely. Should churches be concerned about these things? Yes. My wife worked with victims of trafficking for many years and it is wicked, wicked, wicked. And we should absolutely um, have views on that and, and in some capacity care about that, be involved with that. Should we care about people suffering? Yes. Might we decide to use our resources on these things? Yes. Are we called to good works and to adorn the, the proclamation of the gospel with loving lives? Yes. And again, I'll be talking about this tomorrow. Must we listen to everything the Bible says on justice and, danger, and dangers of hard-heartedness to the poor? Absolutely. Don't hear me as denying any of those things. But it's not the church's mission to solve all the problems of London or all the problems of the world. It's not what Jesus has commissioned his apostles to do. It is, not, uh, it is not their mission. I went to a conference on urban mission not that long ago, and um, it, was, uh, it was in central London, uh, run by uh, uh, various churches. And they were looking at work in the, in the inner city, and the whole conference was all about setting up debt centres, cafes, supporting single mothers, all good things, but nothing about proclaiming the gospel. Nothing about proclaiming Christ. And so actually, see, that was very revealing, isn't it? Because when churches look at the inner city and say, well, what we've, what we've got to try and do is solve the social problems of the, of the inner city, what have they become? Bad religious social workers. 
And it's often how people treat me, working in the world's own state. They want me to be a kind of bad social... Well, they want me to good, perhaps to be a good one, but they want me to be a kind of religious social worker. You know, a, a guy who wears a, a dog collar sometimes, but, but who, who's actually going to essentially just be nice to people and, and help people and, and support single mums. And what happens when you go down this road is you get kind of vague language about kind of building the kingdom, doing kingdom work, which is actually not kingdom, it's not actually kingdom language. It's not, actually, it's not biblical language. The Bible doesn't talk about us building the kingdom. Jesus brings the kingdom. Only God builds, builds the kingdom. Now, should we love people? Yes. Should we practically serve people? Yes. But it's not the mission of the church to solve the problems of the world. Um, that's not Jesus' commission to us. Let me ask you a question. Whose job is it to solve the problems of the world? Someone have any ideas? Go on. I heard someone mumble Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus' job, isn't it? When he comes back, when he returns, when his kingdom comes, he's going to solve the problems of the world. He will sort out everything when he returns. Now, actually, this is, this is actually so important because, actually, if, we don't, if we're not clear on this, there will be some big dangers for us in our churches. Let me mention some of these dangers. The first danger we'll face <laughs> is guilt because we'll be, we'll be thinking of everything that we're not doing. And then, actually, just as you're sat here now, there's lots of things you're not doing, aren't there? Lots of problems you're not dealing with. Um, I mean, I live in a council state, as you know, and there's lots of big problems there, lots of significant problems. And you can easily feel guilty about all the things you're not doing, all these problems you're not solving. You can feel lots and lots of guilt about this. And actually, I think it's a false guilt. It can be a, a true guilt sometimes, but it can also be a false guilt. So that's the first problem, guilt. Second problem is distraction. You can do loads and loads of great things. They're worthy things and good things, but you don't end up calling people to faith and repentance, and that gets sidelined. And so it becomes a big distraction. And so you end up throwing lots and lots of resources into things, uh, and you don't, you don't actually do what, what, what needs to be done. That's the second problem, distraction. Third problem, cowardice. Cowardice. Sorting out these other things is actually in some ways easier than, than evangelism because who's going to hate you for feeding the poor? Now, I'm not saying we have to look to be hated. Um, who's, but, who, but, but actually, it's very easy to go into those things. If you stand against trafficking of, um, of women, who's going to hate you for that? The danger is that actually we just want to be liked by the world and we want the world to appreciate us. And none of us want to be hated. None of us want to be rejected for the gospel, do we? And so it's very easy for us to subtly kind of sideline our energy and our resources into something that the world will appreciate. That's the third danger. Fourth danger is worldliness. Worldliness. That might sound a bit strange. But actually what happens is we start to think like an unbelieving world. Now the unbelieving world prioritises certain problems. They see an inner city or they see London and they look at certain things and they think we need to fix this and this and this. And actually, what can start to happen is we start to think that the things of this world are the most important things. And the big problems of the world are what the world defines as problems, not what the gospel defines as problems. We actually start to believe what Karl Marx said, that religion is the opium of the masses, and heaven's just pie in the sky. We start to believe those things. And actually, you can hear that sometimes in the, kind of Christian, in the Christian world. That actually, we start to lose this sense that actually, heaven is actually a really wonderful place. And it's not pie in the sky. Of course we want people to be longing for heaven. We stop thinking biblically. 
and we start to believe Karl Marx and everything he said about solving the social problems of the world. The hope of London is Jesus. It's not a socialist utopia, and it's not a capitalist free market. The hope of London is Jesus, and that's what we're proclaiming. And of course, he, until Jesus himself returns, we're always, there's, there's always going to be this now and not yet in our experience. We'll be able to impact things, we'll be able to uh, live out lives of justice, we'll be able to help people who are poor. And the, but there'll always be this now and not yet. It, it will always be incomplete until the return of Jesus. Our hope is the return of Jesus. That's what we're really longing for, isn't it? We're not here to solve the problems of the world, though we would love to see people's problems get better. We, we, uh, we want Jesus to come back. So here, what, what we've done is we've looked at what mission is and what mission ain't. And so it's so important for us to be really clear on this because all of this really, really matters. It will impact how you prioritise your time, how you use your resources, how you, how you use your energy, how you pray, how you focus as a church, what you ask Andy to do. It will, it will um, have a tremendous impact on you. And it will unify you, actually, as a church. You need that. You need a tremendous amount of, of unity. You don't want to be falling out with each other on this issue. You want to be a, a, of a common mind. It doesn't mean you don't have kind of creative differences, but you need to be of a common mind on this issue. God has given you a mission. And as you guys get convictions about this, you'll be amazed at the effect it will have upon you personally and, and the effect it will have upon you as a congregation. It will do wonderful things for you. Three things, as we conclude, that it will do for you. Quick, quickly, it, firstly, it will save you from having a small God. How easy it is to have a view of God that is shrunk. So he becomes the God of my area, the God of my life, the God of my church, the God of my tribe. But what mission does is it, it draws us out of ourselves and we get to see that he's the God of every person and he's the God of, every, of the whole world. And when we get serious about mission, we start to see that Jesus Christ is the truth for every person, whether or not they believe in him, for every person in London, he's the truth for your friends, for your family, for, for, every, for your work colleagues. Doing mission will save you from having a small God. And I'd, I'd love to encourage you as well to think hard about world mission. Because again, you, you know, stop thinking that God is English, and it's great here in England, isn't it? And we, we, uh, God, you know, God, God is with us, and He blesses us, and we've got great teaching churches, and we forget the two billion people who have yet to hear about Jesus, who couldn't hear about Jesus. And that that vision for world mission goes hand in hand with domestic mission, and that will save us from having a small God. That's the first thing. Secondly, mission will save you from self-preoccupation. We've all got a tendency to navel-gaze, haven't we? To navel-gaze per person with our, our problems, our difficulties. Uh, we navel-gaze as churches. We navel-gaze about our needs. As pastors, we, you know, we think everything's about our ministry. And we get obsessed with our ministry and with building the kingdom of Andy Mason. You know? But Jesus isn't interested in building the kingdom of Andy Mason. He's interested in building his kingdom. And so the, we, we have to be very aware the kingdom of God can need to get shrunk to small things. We start fighting with one another about how to do music or how to decorate the church or the nuances of particular Bible verses or speaking in tongues. And we forget this lost world. Mission convictions will raise our vision and, and will save us from this, this deadly self-preoccupation. Thirdly, it will save us from comfort seeking. Mission will save us from comfort seeking. It will save you from the worldliness of London. And worldliness is the oxygen that you and I breathe. Go to work, go on the tube, in your, in your homes, in your neighbourhood. Worldliness is all around you. It will save you from an empty life amidst countless comforts. An empty life amidst countless comforts.
I uh, met a, a, a family who, uh, who actually live in Earlsville. They happen to come to our church, not Christians. It's very wealthy, very nice house, big house. And yet their life was so desperately empty. And they came to church just simply out of desperation. You know, couldn't <laughs> think of anything else to do. They were so feeling kind of lost and lonely. And, and, we, we, and we think, of them, and we think yeah, it's, that's terrible, isn't it? They need Jesus. They need to know Jesus. But then think of us. We know Jesus, don't we? And yet how easily we can slip into that empty uh, kind of life where we, we're just living for ourselves, we're living for our house. And the real problem for us is that we want to stay wealthy and safe and protected. And we, and we already live in an extremely comfortable corner of the world. And we want just more comfort. More safety, more protection, more insurance. But mission will save you from lethal, life-killing, comfort-seeking. And believe me, comfort-seeking will, will kill us more than anything else. You and I are made for something more. We're made for mission. The church, this church is made for mission. We as individuals are made for mission. Let's be clear about mission. Let's get serious about mission. Let's get some mission convictions. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture that just brings real clarity. And we thank you, Father, amidst all the discussions and debates going on in the Christian world, we don't need to read a thousand books. We can just come to your word, and your word orientates us. It gives us foundations. It gives us security. It directs us. It helps us as a church. We praise you, Father, for the wisdom and the guidance and the clarity of your word. And, Father, we pray that your spirit would take what your word says about mission and drive it into our hearts. Please, Lord, let there, let there be mission conviction amongst us. Let, let there be a drive amongst us. Let there be uh, a vision amongst us to reach lost London, to reach people who do not know you. In the name of Christ, amen. amen. Great, so there's opportunity for some questions. Uh, so uh, why don't you turn to your neighbour and... Uh, Say if you've got a question, and then you can uh, dob in your neighbour and uh, suggest their question uh, if, if, if they had a good one. <laughs>